millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Roka Report podcast in association with the Southern Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav, you are joining us sort of after the podcast that you're about to listen to because I've jumped on with Phil very quickly just to react to the news that Ross Stewart and Dennis Serkin's prognosis has been given on how long they're going to be out of action for. Um, We have recorded a podcast with Craig Johns from the Borough Live just talking about the game on Monday night, uh, which obviously will follow this particular little segment. But yeah, join me right now is Phil. Hiya, mate. Hi, Gav. So yeah, Phil, we've just jumped on quickly just to talk about this. So Ross Stewart is going to be out for anywhere between sort of six to eight weeks. Tony Mowbray said it could be a little longer, but that depends on his rehab and the way his body reacts. But Ross Stewart's a really positive person and they're hoping he's going to be a quick healer. Um, yep. Dennis Serkin's prognosis is slightly better He's out for just one to two weeks um, So they're hoping he'll be back within a fortnight or so Let's just quickly touch on that then So Serkin, better than, obviously news better news than Ross Stewart Because we're not going to lose him for as long But it's a massive blow isn't it To lose Ross Stewart for that length of time Oh, it is, Gav, absolutely. I mean, he's our talisman. You know, he's been our main source of goals. He's a really, really influential player. Not just with his attacking player, but, you know, he's all-round player. He's, he's a real multi-dimensional, all-round, versatile centre-forward. Mm. Um, and he really is the, the, the focal point around our attack. So, yeah, it, it, is, a, it is a massive setback. There's, there's no getting away from that. It's not quite the doomsday scenario that a lot of people have said, because earlier today there was a rumour going around that it was going to be 12 weeks. Um, so it's kind of you know it, it, that that's a relief in, in in some senses that it's not the the absolute worst case scenario. But yeah, it, it is a setback, Gav, without a doubt, because you know as I said earlier, he is such an influential player for us. Yeah, six weeks would take us into October. So yeah, and I think obviously we've got the we've got the break for the World Cup mid November. So best case, we probably get him for a handful of games before the World Cup. Worst case, yeah. we might not actually see him again until December. So that you know, we've got to learn to adapt without Ross Stewart. Ultimately, haven't we? We've got to look at what we've got at our disposal and see what we can get going. I know people are worried a little bit about sort of the recent form of Ellis Sims and the fact that we don't have anybody else really. But I guess I'm sort of more optimistic than a lot of people. Yes, you could say the club should have signed another striker. I know they couldn't predict the future, but a lot of people did say at the end of the window we need a striker, and we didn't get one. We just brought in more sort of attacking players. Yeah. Um, but that is the that's sort of the positive out of it is that we do have quite a lot of wide players, quite a lot of tactical mid- midfield players, you know the likes of Leon Diaku, Amadou's just came in, Edouard Michou who can play as a ten, 
you know, we've got obviously Jack Clark, we've got Alex Pritchard, Elliot Embleton, we've got um, Patrick Roberts. So, and obviously then there's the, you sort of look even further down the totem pole. You've got uh, Jewison Benetti, who's going to want a chance at some point. You've got Max Thompson from the twenty threes, who's scoring yeah. lots of goals at the minute. So there are options there. Just I think the the thing that a lot of people have got. Uh, sort of the gripe they've got is that these are a lot of untested players, a lot of people who aren't out and out strikers. Yeah. How how are you feeling? Sort of. Are you are you pretty confident that we can fill that gap to an extent? Yeah, I think we can. I mean, as as you said, Gav. Obviously, you know the onus is now going to be. You know, if we are going to play with a big target, my other Sims is obviously going to have to pick up that button now. Um, and I actually thought he did okay at, at Borough on Monday night. I have to say, he was ploughing something of a lone for it. Really, I mean, it, you know, he looked a bit kind of. A drift at times, but I think he, he, you know, his work rate was good. He wasn't, he wasn't a total, total failure. Um, but yeah, I think that you know, the, the like, like you said, we have got plenty of options there, but a lot of them are untested, and it's going to be up to them now to really, you know, step forward and really say, right, okay, boss, Ross is out for a while. I'm going to be a man who you mm. can rely on now. So yeah, I think that by bringing in these kind of speedy, kind of hybrid stroke, you know, wide central attacking players, if you like. I think the club are trying to cover all bases. Yeah, of course you can criticise them for not bringing in another out-and-out striker. Um, but, you know, as we said in our group chat, they're not easy to find. You know, they are not they don't grow on trees, and these lads are not easy to find of the calibre you might be looking for. So, yeah, I, I do think we've got the options there. It's just a matter of can these lads step forward. And, yeah, I think under, under Tony Mowbray's guidance, I think that's the key thing here, under Mowbray, he's an experienced coach. You know, he'll have dealt with situations where he's lost key players before. It won't be alien territory to him. So I think you have a plan, and it'll be interesting to see how that plan unfolds starting on Saturday. Yeah, that's what I was going to come on. How do you think we'll play then? Because there's there's a couple of options, isn't there? You all you already have that three at the back system with the two wing backs, and on Monday night all we did was we put Patrick Robertson and played with another ten, which is one yeah. option. Um, we played that way quite a lot last season, so it's not alien to the players. You know, it wouldn't be a massive shift yeah. from what we used to. The other thing they could do. I guess is go to a back four play with another attacking midfielder a bit more, a bit more in the style that Mowbray preferred when he was at Blackburn. You know, yeah. Um, what can you see them starting Saturday and moving forward? What can you see them doing? I think he might switch to a back four. To be honest with you, Gav, mm. I think that the the thing on um, on Monday uh, against Borough is you know when they hit us with a bit of pace and a bit of power down the flanks, I think that Jack Clark was exposed a little bit at times. You know his defensive discipline is not the greatest. Going forward, he's fantastic. It wasn't his night on Monday, but he's really good going forward. And I think he might be. I think you know without circling there, he could be exposed. Um, so yeah, I think a back four would probably give us a bit more solidity. Um, and I think, as you said, I think that's what Mowbray will probably be looking for. You know, I think Mowbray is quite a pragmatist. I think he'll think to himself, right, okay, we know, we're not going to be able to play our go-to formation here. Let's change it. Let's see what we can do and let's set ourselves up to be as solid as possible. So, yeah, I, th- I think defensively a back four would probably be what a lot of people might expect us to go for mm. on Saturday. So who comes in for Cirkin then? I know it's only going to be a few weeks, but, I mean, the natural replacement in my, in my mind would be Agiolisi just because he's a left yeah. player. He can play a left back. If we're playing, yeah. even if we're playing with a back three, he can play a left of the three. I know that on Monday though he brought in Bailey Wright and he just sort of shifted everybody across. But I wonder whether he would prefer that balance of having a left footer on that side. I think he might. Yeah, I mean the thing with Elise, you know, again, and I know he came quite highly rated when he left West Ham. And a lot of their fans were quite sad to see him go. 
Um, and in the appearances he's made so far, he's looked decent in parts, but he's not really had that kind of long, solid run of game time that he needed to kind of get himself up to speed. I think it all depends on, on how confident Mowbray is in him. You know, I think it's going to be, a, again, it's going to be, you know, there'll be a big crowd in the house on, on um, Saturday, you know, be a decent opponent. If Mowbray is confident that Elise can handle it, I would expect him to start, you know. But I think, again, coming back to that pragmatic side of Mowbray, you might think, again, Bailey Wright, bit more experience, you know, bit of a calmer presence at the back, will be able to handle the occasion. And, yeah, I think Elise would be... I would have no qualms, Gav, if Elise was on that team sheet on Saturday. No doubt about it in my mind. Well, let's hope there's no more bad news before this podcast drops, fellow. We might have to... Fingers crossed. ...record another segment on top of this one. <laughs> Fingers crossed. But thanks for joining us, mate. Thank you very much. No worries. And uh, enjoy the rest of the show, guys, as you join us in the aftermath of Sunderland's defeat away at Middlesbrough, unfortunately. I'm joined... As always, by my mate Martin. Hey, mate. Hello, mate. How's it going? Well, could be better. I would rather be talking about a Sunderland win. One man who's with us today, who's probably feeling a little bit more chipper because he gets to talk about the niceties of the game, is Craig Johns from Borough Live, formerly of the Chronicle. Craig, that's right, isn't it? He used to cover Sunderland for the Chronicle. How are you doing, mate? That's right, mate, yeah. Yeah, very well. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so what was the atmosphere like then, from your perspective in the Riverside, I presume... It was it was jubilant, but a bit happier than the Sunderland end of the press box. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was um, it was a relief more than anything, I think, because uh, you know Middlesbrough have had a strange start of the season. That was only second win of the season, of course, but probably the second worst performance of the season, which you know says a lot about how Borough's season's been going because they've been <laughs> getting the performances right, not getting the results. It was the other way around, so I guess. You know, you take that um, atmosphere-wise. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, not many teams bring as many fans as Sunderland did to the Riverside. And, you know, in the ground, two sets of fans bounced off each other well and it just creates a, an excellent atmosphere, doesn't it? So, yeah, from a Borough perspective, a good night. Yeah, I noticed at the end the, the celebrations were as though they'd won the Cup or something. I think they, were, they, they did enjoy it, but you can't blame them for enjoying it. I mean, we are... Middlesbrough's closest rival in that regard and they always do take it very seriously and that's normally why they, they win the game but Martin, it wasn't a case of being outplayed I don't think for Sunderland was it it was just a mix of reasons why we didn't come out the better end of the result I think there's a load of reasons I mm. think um, that game was the the first time this season really that we've seen that jump from League One to the Championship You know, people have talked about that gulf yeah. that exists it's potentially bigger than um, the championship to the Premier League. And I think we've actually had a pretty decent run in terms of fixtures. We've obviously had a good run in terms of performances so far this season. But like, especially for the first 20 minutes, I thought they really came at us. And, you know, teams have, have had a few games to watch us now. And they can kind of see that we like to start in the front foot and Borough didn't allow us to do that. Teams have had a few games to watch us and, you know, it's evident that our wing-backs are a bit of a defensive weak spot. Mm. And they really exploited that. But look, it was it was a, a game where we, we came up with against a few challenges. We you know, we could have scored, we could have got an equaliser. Um I think after the match Chris Wilde said that was their most difficult game of the season. So I think there's a few positives to take out of it. There's a few things for, for Tony Mowbray to, to learn from. And I think there's a few things, you know, if we're gonna be honest with ourselves, there's a few things for us as fans to to learn from that game as well. You know, it's mm. gonna be a long season, we're gonna lose games. And it's how we all accept it and bounce back. That's going to be um, important, I think. Yeah, Martin touched on it there, Craig, about sort of the way Borough managed the game from a tactical perspective. I thought they were excellent in that regard. I wouldn't say that they played 
particularly scintillating football, but what they did do is restrict Sunderland very well. So like Martin just said, first half, they didn't let us come flying out the blocks. And then second half, they just sort of sat back, didn't they? And they, they defended very well. They were quite rigid. You know, Sunderland normally get a lot of joy down the sides. We normally get crosses into the box and stuff, but we weren't able to threaten in that regard. And I think that's credit to probably Middlesbrough, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one actually because Wilder was actually critical of Borough for that after the game. You, it's never really his tactics or his way to be as particularly second half as kind of deep and as I don't want to say negative, but you know as deep and as as kind of defensive minded as the as they were in that second half. But you know Wilder wants his team to to get up the pitch. He wants to play with a high defensive line and he wants to control possession. But I think just the frantic nature of the game, the atmosphere, the occasion probably got to it. And there was never really, you know, Borough probably had the better chances in the game in terms of clear-cut chances. But there was never really any team in control of it. I don't think it was quite basketball in terms of both teams quite sloppy in possession, turning it over. And and I think from Borough's point of view, you know, they had something to protect. And, and as I say, I mean, you know, a lot of times this season now, I think, was that... Four times in the last seven, I think we said that Borough have taken the lead in the game and been unable to get a win. Um, they've had that kind of thing. I think when that comes in, I think two or three times it's been 90th minute equalisers or winners for the opposition as well. There's a natural kind of anxiety comes in when you almost start to expect that it's going to happen against you. So mm. I think Wilder made the point after that, although it wasn't really how he wanted to, he'd want to handle the game. Ultimately, by hook or by crook, they just had to find a way to you know keep Sunderland out, keep the ball out the net, and hang on to that one goal lead. How much do you think psychologically, though, Craig, the the loss of uh, Ross Stewart in the warm up made to sort of Middlesbrough? You know, obviously from a Sunderland perspective, we know it threw everything out the window. But when you when they see Sunderland's best player pulling up injured ten minutes before kick off, psychologically, that's got to give you a boost, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, that it can't be understated how kind of important that was to the game. You know, any team is going to miss the top scorer. And in Ross Stewart's case, you know, he's such a, a well-rounded, all-round quality striker. From what I've seen of him, he seems to be able to do it all. And so not having to deal with that, you know, is, is a, naturally a boost for any team. I thought what it did was allow Deal Fry to to kind of just square up to Ellis Sims. And you know, Sims was quite bright early on, but I think Deal Fry got the grips with him eventually. And it was it was a really interesting battle throughout the 90 between Sims and uh, and Fry. But I think ultimately it made the defence's night easy and not having Ross Stewart as well. Because what I've seen of Sunderland this season, those two are a pair, come very good hand in hand because they are so, both so dangerous. Mm. So if you take one out of the game, the other one will make, make something happen. What I will say with that, though, is, um, you know, Borough did have Matt Clark on the left-hand side of their defence. And while he probably would have been the man to look after Ross Stewart had he been on the pitch, he instead had to look after Patrick Roberts, who actually, when he did get on the ball and did run at Clark, had the beating of him every time. Clark didn't look very comfortable with that. Mm. Um, you could see he was rusty. He's not quite as sharp because he, he came in late and pre... Well, not it came in after the season had started and hadn't had much of a pre-season. I think ultimately on the night, I think particularly second half, Sunderland got into good positions, were let down by the the final ball or the, you know, the the, the, the last bit that, that, you know, they just didn't have that instinct to kind of find the right cross or the right pass or the right shot. Yeah. Um, I think had they had that on the night, it could have been a different story. From our perspective, Martin, Ross Stewart dropping out the team 
it was a massive blow, wasn't it? I mean, it changed the way we played. And Tony Mowbray spoke about it on Sky after the game, didn't he? He said he basically had three minutes to sort of prepare the players to play a totally different way. And although he didn't, he actually said it's not an excuse. You know, we still had to go and play a game of football. And we we talk every week about just how important he is to this team. You take that piece out of the puzzle, and all of a sudden it it's totally different. And like Craig just said, you know, Ellis Sims, I think he tried his best, but when he's up against three experienced championship defenders, basically on his own, you know, I know Pritchard and Roberts got around him. It's tough, isn't it? And it's gonna it was always gonna be hard for us to bully them in the way we normally would if Stuart was on the pitch. Well, it's it's that bullying aspect. It's a- you know the goal scoring that that Ross Stewart brings, but I think Ross Stewart sets the tone for how we we play. Full stop. I think he's the absolute absolute focal point for the team. Like the, the ball gets played into him from from all sorts of positions. His work rate off the ball. He's our first line of defence, and pretty much everything we we do in all all of the play has been built around him. So so lose him, you know, five ten minutes before before the game starts. It's massive because we, we, we haven't got a player to come in and replace him. And, you know, people will, will point the fingers at our recruitment during the, the um, transfer window. But, like, we can't replace Ross Stewart. We could have five strikers sat there on the bench. But I don't think any of them would be able to do exactly what Ross um, Stewart does. He's that important for us as a, as a team. So I really think that if Ross Stewart's injury had happened on Thursday, we don't start with that team. We don't set up. How we set I up. I agree. Yeah, I think yeah. you know Tony Mowbray would have had a bit of time to think about it, come up with with something else, but we had to. You know, he, and Roberts hasn't started the game all season. He's you know a little bit off the off the pace, and and it showed. And like I actually, I've got a lot of time for Patrick Roberts. I think he's a really good player, but he's a good winger. Mm-hmm. He's not a good player in the centre of the field. I don't think so. It kind of you know it was it was almost a, a perfect storm in a negative sense before the before the game for that to happen. And for for us to have such um, little time to prepare for it, so it's just sod's law, isn't it? That happens after, the week after the bloody transfer window closes. Yeah, and he hasn't, you know, he hasn't been injured for what? So pretty pretty much months? since he came in. Yeah, when he he came in with an injury, and then he hasn't. I don't think he's been injured since really at all. Typical Sunderland, isn't it? but <laughs> I, I I think you're right. What you said about the way we set up and that. Had he even had a couple of hours notice, we wouldn't have played that way. You've got to think of all of the preparation. and We've played this way all season with three at the back, the two wing backs, the two in the middle, the number 10, the two strikers. That's just the way Sunderland play at the minute. But with a bit of time, I think we probably would have went to a four. We would have got another attacking midfielder in behind Sims and maybe like try to pack the space out. It was, it was difficult for Mowbray and I don't understand anybody really giving any criticism to him. For for his decision, I saw I saw a few daft tweets and stuff. I know people get a bit excited after games. I think I think ultimately Tony Mowbray was dealt a bad hand there. He just sort of had to deal with it as it came. And we were talking just before we came on, Martin. I don't think we were outplayed. I think we did all right. You know, I don't think we were the better team, but I do think that we we matched Middlesbrough for periods of the game. And Mowbray said that himself. So it wasn't as though we went out there and shit the bed. We actually we weren't too bad. You know, but it it's just no. it throws you prep totally out the window when something like that happens. It do, like we had a lot of possession. We didn't do a great deal with it. Uh, we didn't get a great deal of shots on on target, did we? I think that one that Embleton swung in from, from the free kick out wide late on was one of our only shots on target. So you know, I think from that perspective, we we could have done a lot better. But in possession, we actually did all right. We had a few spells where we were dominating the play for ten fifteen minutes. And I think you know. It, 
you've you've got to give Mowbray a little bit of slack as well. Like it's it's not very often that as fans we know more about the players than the manager does, because you know the managers have coaching sessions every, see them every day, know get to know them as people. But right now we know more about those players than, than Mowbray does, so it's easy for us to go, oh, I wouldn't do that. But Mowbray has kind of got a little bit of a knowledge gap in terms of like the ins and outs of each player. And obviously, he's got his coaching staff there as well, but he's the one making the call, isn't he? Yeah. So I think, you know, you, you've got to give him a little bit of slack. It's going to take him a few weeks to, to really get up to speed with who's who and what people can do and where people are best deployed and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, he's he's on the hiding nothing, really. If he'd completely changed the formation because Stewart was out and we get beat, then he's going to get criticised for that as well, isn't he? So yeah. he's kind of almost in a, a no-win situation. Of course, he looks like a hero if it comes off, but <laughs> yeah. it's it's a hard one. And, you know, if Alex Neal's in the dugout, if Ross Stewart's up front, there's nothing to say we don't lose that game anyway. You know what I mean? It's football. Yeah, It happens. We're going to lose games. Middlesbrough, one of the favourites for promotion before the season started. It's going to be a tough game anyway, so I think it's um, a long way to go. It's going to be interesting to see how we adapt to it over the, the next few weeks, isn't it? Sorry, just throwing a kind of Tony Mowbray thing in there, obviously knowing well on side and thinking back to his time at Blackburn as well, you know, with everything he's saying about, you know, his system and his setup and getting to know his new team at Sunderland. Thinking of his Blackburn team, he liked four two three one a lot, and you know he, he ticked a lot of the boxes. Mowbray when Sunderland were looking for a new manager after Alex Neil left because of you know his record for working with young players, his his working class background, and just I always thought he'd get the fans. And I think with a couple of right results, I think Sunderland fans will love him because you know he just has the right anecdotes, as you've probably already heard in press conferences. He speaks that language that I think Sunderland fans will get. Um, but yeah, at Blackburn, he did like 4 2 3 1, and he quite likes wingers on the opposite wings. So he'd like a, a left footer on the right wing and a right footer on the left wing cutting in. I always remember at Middlesbrough, he did that with Stuart Downing, and Stuart Downing got the move to, I think, was it Liverpool or. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Downing did wonders under Mowbray from, from switching over to the right wing and, and kind of cutting in on his left. And, you know, so I think, in, you know, he mentioned after the game that he's probably only had about three or four sessions with the play, the Sunderland players so far. And, and I think you're right in what you're saying. If, you know, he'd had more time and knew his squad better and, and they knew him better and his ways. Even on the night, he probably could have switched to a four quite comfortably, mm-hmm. but because it's also young, also you know new and young and fresh, they he they almost haven't worked on that as a repertoire because they haven't had chance to yet. And you know from what I've seen of Sunderland so far this season, me one concern with Mowbray if he was going to go back to a four two three one, you would lose that Sims and Stewart partnership, which for me has been what's made Sunderland so effective so far this season. So, you know, the fact that he's stuck to the three at the back and the two up front has been good, positive to see from Sunderland's perspective when Sims and Stewart are there. But I think, yeah, definitely with more time, I think, you know, he'll have four, two, three, one in the repertoire as well. So that even on the night, if something like that were to happen, he could quickly switch. We might see a switch to a four soon anyways, just because, you know, we don't have three out-and-out strikers, and I think Ellis Sims is... Like, I, I feel a little bit sorry for him. I think some of the criticism he's been getting is ridiculous. For a young kid coming in here, you know, that's a big, big job having to basically run the line on your own in a game like this. And, you know, he he, he tried his best. You can, that's all you can ask from players, to be fair. If the quality's not there, it's not there. If they try the hardest and it doesn't come off, then it is what it is. 
I'll bring you in on this, Martin. Like some of the criticism Ellis Sims has had recently, I don't know. I just, it doesn't sit right with me. I think I think we need to do a little bit better to get behind the lad. Well, he he set himself a really high bar, didn't he? Yeah, that's a yeah, I think that's the thing. the thing. He got three goals in two games, and he he took three minutes to get off the mark. So you think, well, yeah, we've got a player here, and you you expect, or there's a an easy expectation, I guess, to, to think he's going to do that every week. And he's he's not, and like no no striker is, regardless of, of their experience. I think um, it's it's that sort of like body language. You know, people have said, "Oh, he looks a little bit languid. He he's struggling for fitness, whatever it is." There's probably a bit of truth in in the struggling for fitness bit because he came in very late into the into the season. It was after after the season had started, wasn't it? Um, I think he had a bit of a preseason with Everton, but he you know he hadn't trained with with us. He's moved from. Northwest to, to the northeast, and he's twenty one, and I think you know this is again something that we're going to all have to get get really used to with the model that we've we've got at the club. The the potential that some players have, we're going to see that on occasions, hopefully a lot of occasions. We're also going to see that that bottom of performance as well because they're not going to be consistent by the nature. They're not going to be consistent at twenty one, or twenty two, or twenty three. They might get some consistency when twenty six, twenty seven. But it's it's going to be a a bit of a, a roller coaster ride with each young player. We saw it with Sirkin last year; he had dips in form. We've seen it with with Dan Neal. We, we've seen it with young players, you know, throughout the, the the course of history. Like I remember Michael Grade going through the the same thing, and we've just got to stick with them rather than immediately turning on. Because you know, just as two goals against Bristol City doesn't mean that Ella Sims is going to score two goals every week and end the season with. 92 goals top scorer it just doesn't happen like it's not going to he's not going to achieve that level of, of consistency so he's going to have dips and we have to accept them and hope uh, with a bit of experience those dips become less deep and they become less often and it'll happen yeah but you know we've got such a squad of, of young players like it's going to you know hopefully we can interchange some and bring some in and drop some out to lessen the that impact but it's going to be a feature of the season yeah and it's going to be interesting to to watch how the you know the team responds to it because that's where you 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 know your Corey Evans, your Danny Baths, Bailey Wright, Ross Stewart, experienced player now really in terms of age, all of these people need to really drag the others along on occasion. And I think um, actually you know what? I didn't think Sims did that bad. He stretched, especially in the second half. He, he got in a few runs. He stretched the the defense. He was a good outlet. And it was more the the service he was getting, and then the the body's getting close to him to to do the next bit. That was the um, the problem in attack. I thought. Yeah, and he nearly got an assist. We might as well talk about the game. Good segue into the start of the match. So uh, <laughs> he did. He nearly got an assist. I couldn't believe he missed it, just because he is such a composed player. Like if there's anyone in the team, not called Ross Stewart, who I think would bury that, it would be him. I mean, he had time to take a touch, really, and he. He's just sort of over the top of the ball, yeah. and it, yeah, it, I mean the goalkeeper's completely stranded. They showed a couple of angles of it on the TV coverage, and I mean if he passed it into the net, either side of the keeper would have went in. The keeper was in a bad position, and it was uh, just totally changes the game if that goes in. But do you know that period from sort of that chance to Riley McCree getting the goal for Middlesbrough? Do you think Middlesbrough were on top? Do you think Middlesbrough probably deserved the goal at that point? It it was a strange one. I don't think any team throughout the game ever was really on top. I think you know, I, I maybe shouldn't call it this on on a Sunderland podcast, but you know, a typical <laughs> derby game where, as I say, the atmosphere as it was, 
um, the game kind of almost played to the atmosphere and it was frantic. No, Borough liked to control games. Borough liked to be in possession and, you know, playing the ball about and working it from the back to the front. They didn't really ever have that. And both teams were, you know, sloppily giving the ball away. There was a lot of, it was never a game. It didn't feel like a dirty game where it, you know, it, it felt like it would boil over at any point. But there was a lot of, you know, tackles going in that were earning yellow cards. I think there was a, a spate of about three yellow cards in quick succession, weren't there? And it was just on that, though, I actually thought in the first sort of half an hour, the ref let everything go. And then all of a sudden, then he yeah. started giving. It's like it's like right for the first yeah. half an hour, I'm not going to book anybody, and then after that, the, the cards came flying out. But he, he seemed to let loads go early doors. Yeah, it's it, it's a new directive from the referees, isn't it, to try and let play go more and let games flow more. But I think ultimately, with t- with both teams kind of giving away possession as they were, and then you know the other team then looks to break naturally. You have those kind of what you might call professional fouls, or you know taking one for the team. Um, you had a lot of that and the game didn't quite flow as well as it could have done. But yeah, I mean, in terms of after that period, that Borough were, was certainly creating the better chances. There was there was a couple of times where McGree kind of arrived in the box and, and uh, I think he'd almost scored not long before he got yeah. his goal. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a couple of times where he threatened, kind of just buzzing in and around Mooney's, who I thought had a had a really good game up top for Borough and, and kind of getting into the right spaces in the pockets and... It was interesting the Borough goal. Not long before the Borough goal, just minutes before it was, it was from the McGree chance actually because there was the free kick from House and that was swung in and saved at the at the front post by Patterson. Yeah. But the free kick came from Ryan Giles winning a free kick out wide after he he'd skinned Lyndon Gooch down the wing and Gooch brought him down. And I think what happened with the goal then it was just minutes later and probably the next time Ryan Giles got the ball. And he's 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 a cracking player, Ryan Giles. It surprises me that he's not been able to. He's on loan from Wolves, and it surprises me he's not been able to, you know, push more to get into that Wolves team because his delivery is absolutely brilliant. And I thought he was really intelligent for the goal because, as I say, a moment earlier he'd beaten Gooch uh, and won the free kick, and and so that time when he got the ball, Gooch almost stepped off a little bit, probably respecting that he had the beating of him for Pierce. Rather than you know be single minded and and go out to beat him again, he noticed Gooch step off and he played the early ball in and of course McGree arrives at the right time. I'm not sure he he got the ball under his spell as uh, as Middlesbrough's uh, official Twitter account <laughs> described it from McGree, but uh, and and Luke and I'm really unfortunate there as well. He got a slight tour to it, didn't he? As he's yeah. coming in, uh, but unfortunately just couldn't take it away from McGree, who who then finished. Um, but yeah, it was that that for me that that moment where he beat Gooch just moments earlier was almost decisive for the Borough goal because Giles had the intelligence to say, okay, if you've got you know if you're going to take a step off, I'll I'll put the ball in early and as say Ryan Giles with that left foot on the left wing, he, he is so impressive. Tell you what, like if I reckon if we have Giles and Jones as our wing backs, we win that game. <laughs> I think that's where it was. Yeah, but I think I think that's where it was won and lost. I think it really showed our defensive weakness with with Clark and Gooch playing there and I've I've been a big fan of both of them this season I think they've really done well put shifts in Um, it's obviously neither of their natural games to do the defensive work but I thought Jones and Giles were were brilliant for for Borough Jones was outstanding he's a proper player him like he is and as, as Craig said there like Giles' set pieces were really threatening and our set pieces were awful yeah 
we just had a run of them where we just couldn't get anything decent into the box, could we? So I reckon that if you swap the wing backs around, we win that game with a, a bit of ease. Yeah, they they were the by far the best two players on the pitch for me. The two wing backs that were outstanding. Yeah. It was interesting in the build up of the game, Craig. I, I checked the um the Borough lineup on Twitter and uh, the fans weren't particularly happy that Riley McCree was starting. Quite a lot of people weren't enamoured with his name being on the team sheet, but he was. In terms of a threat, he was probably Middlesbrough's biggest threat all night. Um, yeah, he got a little bit lucky with a goal, but you're right, he had a hat full of chances. And I think at the end, when they'd done the interviews on Sky, the one of the other players, I can't remember who it was, said that he probably should have been coming away with a match ball. Yeah, I think uh, that that's right. And you're right in terms of Middlesbrough fans not quite being happy. I think last season they were very kind of consistent and setting up with 3-5-2 and it was two traditional strikers and... You know, they managed to bring three strikers in this summer because they let three Lawnees go. But two of them, well, in fact, all three, really. I mean, Moon is coming in on loan to be the main man, if you like. And as I say, I thought he, he looked good up he was there. Excellent. Yeah, he's, he's got a wonderful touch. There was a moment in the game where the ball kind of almost came down from a height vertically. And he around the halfway line, he just tra- trapped it like, like it was nothing, uh, turned and won a free kick and just alleviates a bit of pressure I think that little bit of quality was uh, was excellent from him but yeah he's only he's still only 21 and then they brought in Marks Fors and they brought in um, Matthew Hoppy from Mallorca and, and they're both young strikers and, and probably not quite ready to be starting regular games in the championship yet so I think there's a there's an element of that to it and then obviously you've got Duncan Watmore as well there who Sunderland fans will know well he's, he's he has his troubles with his knee still so he's, he almost can't start very often. He's got to be managed in terms of a conditioning point of view, which is, I think, why Wilder is using McGree a lot more of the 10. I think Borough fans, and, and indeed at times me, like prefer that two strikers up top. It, it feels a bit more positive. I think Wilder's almost looking at McGree. You know, he does float around in the right areas and he can make things happen, but he also out of possession can drop in a bit deeper as well and, and, and help out almost in the midfield. So yeah, there's a, that's why Borough fans are a bit kind of iffy on on McGree in the ten, and it's it's almost you know Borough lack a presence in the box set or have done, but McGree timed some of his runs into the penalty area, you know, a lot better than he has been. Yeah, and, and like I say, we went into the break behind, and I don't know, I don't think feel like we deserved it necessarily. I think we had a couple of half decent chances, Martin, and like I say, the Pritchard one was a big one early doors, but. It wasn't free-flowing Sunday night we've seen. And we know we, we've already explained that away. I think probably Jack Clark probably had his worst game of the season for us after being such a brilliant player for us in the last few, well, last month or so, really, since the season started. He's been excellent. Um, Lyndon Gucci, even at the weekend, yeah, he... was cracking. But we just couldn't get going, uh, largely down to the fact that them two weren't in the game and obviously Ross Stewart wasn't playing. So it was tough, wasn't it, going into the break, sort of one behind, not knowing where the goal was going to come from. It wasn't. Look, I think um, we. I, I did think we were a bit passive at spells in the first half. I thought we got a lot better after half time. But I think we tried to to soak it up a little bit and catch them on the break. And we nearly did with, with the Pritchard chance that we, we've discussed, didn't we? Um, but I, I thought there was maybe a little bit of like, let's let's soak it up, let's you know quieten the crowd down, catch them on the break, and then play, play it from there. And obviously it didn't quite work. And it's different to how we've played. The majority of the season where we are now on the front foot. Now, as we said earlier, whether that's down to Borough's tactics or our approach or whatever it is, who who really knows? But you know, there was a few balls that Borough put over the 
over the box that you know somebody could have gotten the end of. And I must admit, at half time, I was like, I'm I'm all right with it being one nil. I was quite glad we got in at one nil because you always have that thing with the last few minutes of the first half. You one nil down. If you conceded another goal, it changes the whole complexion of the game. So I, I was relatively happy going in one nil down because I thought it could have been it could have been a little bit worse. Yeah, and then we came out in the second half, and like I said earlier, I think Sunderland probably had more of the ball. You 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 said Craig that Wilder felt that you know that wasn't an intentional thing for them to sit back like they did. But to be fair to Sunderland, we I said this to the people I was watching the game with, like you know, to our credit, we all we never really give up, and it wasn't like we were being overwhelmed totally. We just had to come out, and we had to try and get that goal. Um, we were being allowed a lot of the ball. I felt like sort of as we edged towards the sort of our mark, that's when we really started to get on top and we started to see a couple of chances. Um, but then, you know, Alex Pritchard and uh, Patrick Roberts were both brought off the pitch and a lot of Sunderland fans were a bit surprised by that because they were just starting to get a foothold in the game. Yeah, I'd, I'd funnily enough, I'd felt the same. I think it was moments before the sub. I'd kind of, I think you were right, Sunderland had a couple of chances at that point in the game. And I remember writing in our live blog at about that time that Sunderland was starting to suddenly look very lively and and that inevitable kind of push for the equaliser was going to start coming. Martin, what about you then? What did you think when he brought those players off? I, I could see it coming a mile off because Pritchard never really goes past an hour anymore, does he? he? Just We get a good hour out of him and then he comes off. Even under Alex Neal, that was the case. But do you think he should have been left it on? Wasn't. He was on a yellow as well, by the way. Uh, it was a, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because, like, as you say, Pritchard has his... Um, so the time span on, on the field generally. Mm. Roberts is playing his first um, game of the season. However, it, it was, it was kind of like one of those where when when he told them to warm up 10 minutes beforehand, it was the right change to make. At that point in the game, I would have much preferred just to give him another five minutes because it, you could, oh, I, I was kind of sensing the goal was coming because we just kept getting little pockets, getting getting some space. Roberts was cutting inside, threading balls through. Pritchard was looking lively. And I was like, just hold off on it. Just give it another five minutes because like, there's a goal coming. Mm. And I think, you know, he can kind of go, well, you get these other two players on, you've got the momentum, you can continue it. But we, we kind of just lost it again for a few minutes after that. And, you know, hindsight's wonderful, isn't it? But at, at the time, I was like, just hold off because I, I thought we could have got something. Yeah, but Ahmad came on for his son and debut. I thought he actually did okay. I mean, it was a... There was one moment where he just he was on another wavelength to uh, Sims when he was sort of coming in on goal. And, just hit us, didn't he? Well, we were we were having this discussion when, with the people I was watching. I don't know whether it was a bit difficult just because of how tight the defender was. I don't know whether I think I think most attack minded footballers if they if they feel like they've got a chance of scoring, they will shoot. And I don't know whether the defender was just a little bit too tight to him for him to get the shot away. So he was trying to be cute and clever with the back heel. If it came off, it would have been unbelievable. Let's be honest. <laughs> but it it didn't, um, and, and then obviously all you do is think, well, he should have shot. You know, if he'd back heeled it and Sims had scored, none of us would be saying that. So it's just what it's <laughs> it's like what we said before. But yeah, I mean, the mad came on for Patrick Roberts. Uh, Embleton came on for Pritchard. You talked you talked about the set pieces before, Martin. Like this has become a real bugbear of mine. Pritchard and Embleton set pieces are crap. Like I'm, <laughs> I, I I gave them a lot of leeway. Yeah. I thought last season Pritchard, uh, you know, there were times when his set pieces were good. But like we are not a threat whenever we get a corner or a free kick. And no. the deliveries aren't good enough. As the game was wearing on, Embleton's got worse and worse. They kept flying out over the top. 
I mean, I'm not. I'm, I don't mean to single them out because you know I, I like Embleton as a player. I love Alex Pritchard, both very important to our squad. But I just, yeah, I just wish we had another another set piece taker in that squad because the the deliveries ultimately when we had the chances to get in good positions or even really take advantage of some of the set pieces we were being afforded by Middlesbrough, we didn't do it. I think it was that one near the end where um, where it just flew miles over the bar and I'm like, you know, yeah. just a bit of quality and we, we were in there. It was so frustrating, wasn't it? Like in, in the first half, we had a string of corners as well, didn't we, from the, the left-hand side? Yeah. And we just didn't threaten with, with any of them. And, you know, if, if the if the situations are reversed, then we're conceding corners. You go and you know what they're going to have. They're going to get a chance from here. You just expect them to, to create something, don't you? Yeah. And we just did not look dangerous, at all. And I, I don't know what you do with it with the current squad. Well, they, they tried early on, didn't they? We had a handful of short corners, which we never do. You know, yeah. we did try something different early on. Then we were revert, and they they were actually the most threatening corners we had all night, I think. And then we went back to type, well, just sort of whipping it in. It was like it came to nothing. It's it's probably one of those things. I might have looked at all of the corners we've took over the past nine months and gone, <laughs> you know what, play a short one because you're not going to score whipping it in. So yeah, I I, like, I don't know what you do because like Pritchard earlier last season, Pritchard was was all right with him, wasn't he? You remember he scored one at um, it was Cambridge, Cambridge, wasn't it? yeah. Where he, it was a re- well, it was windy. I think it was a windy day, wasn't it? Which might have helped, but like by a corner specialist, you know, like a, an American <laughs> football kicker who can come on and just whip a corner in for us and then. <laughs> Trot off the field or something, but I'm not sure what the answer is. No, no me, no me. Um, but yeah, you 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 mentioned what more there, Craig, before he came on, uh, pretty much the same time as um Ahmad and Embleton did for us, and you just it was typical Duncan Watmore, really. You know, you, you get all that graft determination. He he did cause us problems, but luckily for us, he didn't have his shooting boots on because he he didn't hit the back of the net. But I think a better player might have. Um, but he is—he's quite liked, isn't he, at Middlesbrough? I think just sort of like you say, he doesn't doesn't start many games because of obvious reasons. We all know why. Yeah, and, and you know he quickly came in at Middlesbrough, and uh, and you know you know Andy Stripes, if you like, he uh, I think when you when they were first signing him, he was coming in on a free um, in the was it the November at the time, and Ashley Fletcher had just got a serious injury, and uh, so that's why they needed a free agent to come in. You're looking at that from a Middlesbrough perspective, Middlesbrough fans perspective, and you're seeing a player who wasn't really playing that much for Sunderland when Sunderland were in League One. He's had serious injuries, and you're questioning like, why are we signing this player? But to be fair to to Watmore, I, I remember telling you know as many people as I could tell at the time, you'll you'll fall in love with this lad. He's he's a brilliant lad off the pitch. He's such a good character. But he also grafts like you'll never see. There won't be another Middlesbrough player in that team will graft as much as Duncan Watmore does. And yeah, I think you're right. I think when he has played, he's he's grafted. He does the running. He gets into good areas and he creates good chances through. He's um you know through how through his drive and his positivity. But he he has also missed a couple of really good chances this season. And I think he stung Patterson's palms, didn't he, with his uh with his effort. But uh. But yeah, certainly he's uh, he's not really had his shooting boots on at all this season, really. No. We made a few more subs, Martin, after that. Um, Bailey Wright came on for Sirkin. Apparently Sirkin was feeling his hamstring, which um, I hope isn't too bad because he's been brilliant for us this season, hasn't he? He has. And you, you'd, you know, putting two and two together, you'd, you'd kind of expect him to be out for a few games, wouldn't you? 
Uh, I, th- I think I think the least I think the least amount of time you usually are out with a hamstring is like three weeks. So it depends how bad it was, but yeah. So that could be another one going past the um, international break, couldn't it? Mm. And that you know it's a shame because you know, again he's been a player who's who's really stepped up. You know there were some question marks about him. I think again age you can see that progression, you can see that development. He's been playing on the left side of a three rather than the left side of a four which means there's not as much sort of attacking responsibility for him. He can just defend. And I think that, that kind of suits him as a, as a player. But Bailey Wright coming on. I wasn't surprised by that, but obviously you had Elise on the bench as well, who would have been a straight swap. Obviously, Bailey Wright came in and 0-9 shifted over to the to the left. And, you you know, you kind of expect that to be how we line up on on Saturday, I think, if we stick with a back, um, a back three. Yeah, I was I was hoping in a way that it would mean that we'll see Agiolise, but I don't know whether they're maybe looking at him and thinking he's not quite ready yet. It is a to be fair, that's a big game to throw somebody into, and the pro you know the safe option was Bailey right, like you say moving O nine across because you can play him anywhere. But we just hope he's back soon because Dennis Serkin's been outstanding. He's low key been one of the better players this season, like a solid seven every yes. week, just a really really solid footballer. And yeah, let's hope he's not particularly long. The other player we saw was. Leon Diakou who only came onto the bench because Ross Stewart got injured and came on played at wing back Lyndon Gooch didn't look very happy about going off I don't know whether that's just his nature you know he doesn't really want to not be on the pitch Um, but Diakou came on didn't really touch the ball a great deal to be fair playing at right wing back and other than that really it was just a case of Middlesbrough seeing the game out I know they had a handful of chances while we pushed forward but we we couldn't get the job done ultimately I think Borad in the end probably deserved the win. Craig, would you agree with that? I, I think in the end they they probably edged it. I, I think in terms of as I say, it was never a game where either side really controlled. But I think in terms of you know who had the the better chances, the more clear cut chances. I think you know Borad yeah just about edged it, but it was a tight one. And you know in the in in you know the kind of last half hour of the game, particularly the way Borad's season has been going, you could have definitely seen a Sunderland equaliser coming. Yeah, they pulled the stat up on the screen, um, sort of towards the end of the game about how many goals that were. I think the second highest in the league for conceding after ninety minutes. I gave you a bit of hope with with seven seven minutes coming up, didn't it? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. but yeah, where where did he find where did he find seven minutes from? By the way, I was I mean I wasn't complaining. It must like, be all the subs. Yeah, yeah, a lot of yeah. subs, and then there was that moment, wasn't there, where there was a the ball had gone into the crowd and they didn't return it. I think did Sunderland have a corner? And then when they're oh, just right. about to get the new ball on, then the ball was flung on again, so that caused a bit more disruption. So it's one of them where Agnew was down for a while, wasn't he? When yeah, he got, yeah. he got uh-huh. injured, he went down twice, didn't he? So that yeah, I suppose maybe then uh-huh. in that sense. Can we just talk about the ref quickly before we finish up on the match? Because I don't know how people. I know I touched on it briefly before. He seemed to let everything go, and then all of a sudden the cards were flying out. Um, we haven't actually talked about the Patrick Roberts penalty incident. I'll let you go first on that, Craig. Do you think the ref got that call right or not? It it was difficult to tell. I haven't seen it back on a good replay from um you know any other than the tiny little monitors that we have in the press box. From that monitor seeing it live, um if there was any contact, it was outside the box, so it would have only been a free kick. It looked to me like Roberts, you know, the I think the contact must have been minimal because he almost tries to take another two steps to get himself into the box and then fall over. So I think he looked for it personally. Do you reckon, Martin? Well, it's a clear as day foul, and it's right on the line. I think it's just outside the box, but I think if the referee sees a foul, he gives a penalty because of where Roberts got to. So 
to me, 100% foul. Yeah, I, I, I felt like it was a foul. I felt like it's difficult to see in real time. I mean, the referee's got to try and judge it in real time, and it's obviously very difficult. But I think whether it was a penalty or not, I think it was borderline. I think he might have just been outside the box. To me, it was definitely a foul. I think when you, you <laughs> they try to slow it down, there's clearly a foot comes across, and Roberts is running at full pelt. To me, it's a foul. I think overall, though, the referee, I found him a bit strange. I just thought that he definitely set the tone in that first half an hour with, right, I'm going to let everything go. And I think like, if that's the way you're going to referee the game, then great. You know, only book people for bad tackles, cynical fouls, sort of like professional fouls, like what you called it earlier, Craig. You know, fine. But, you know, <laughs> it was a sort of like a switch flicked in his head after that half an hour. And he was like, I'm just going to blow for everything. I'm going to hand yellow cards out willy-nilly. And... I think he, yeah. I think if he just carried along, carried on the way that he was going, and I think that's sort of how you should referee a, in quotation marks, a derby. That is the way you should do it because there's obviously a lot more tension in the game. People are putting big tackles in and stuff. You know, let let certain things go by all means, but you know, to change tack after half an hour or so, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of controversy at the minute around referees and stuff in the game, and. This lad on Sky could have like really made a name for himself, really, by refereeing the game properly. And I just felt like he did that for half an hour, and then for the remaining hour or so, he was poor. What, Martin? Do you want to add something in on the ref? Well, he was the ref that we had on the opening day of the season, wasn't he? he was, um, yes, he was. Coventry, the fellow with a headband. That's and he the only the reason I recognise him—the bloody headband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you think he likes? He, by the look of him, he likes being on Sky. So you know, you you would have thought he would have. Done his um done done best to catch people's attention, but I think it's that typical thing with referees, isn't it? Once, once have made a or given a yellow card eventually, and I think who who got the first yellow card because it was soft. Um, let me just scroll back. Paddy McNair, apparently, it was a really soft one compared to what had gone on before, and you just kind of go, well, what on earth are you judging on? Because that that's just him trying to manage the game, isn't it? Rather than punishing fouls on on their own merits. Because you know that first one that he let the borough lad get away with, where he tripped. Um, I can't remember. Yeah. It was uh, was yeah. it Roberts? Um, it was that was a clear yellow card. So he he kind of got it wrong, really, on numerous occasions. And that like, that's been one of the things that we we've talked about, isn't it? Like the League One refs are terrible, but the Championship ones aren't much better by um, by the evidence that we've seen so far. Would you agree with that, Craig? Do you think? Yeah, I was going to say, I think for the Paddy McNair one, I think it was probably in the end, like almost an accumulation yellow, wasn't it? I think he'd put in a couple of, you know, not necessarily yellow card tackles, but a couple of sloppy tackles. He was a bit erratic in the in the challenge, Paddy McNair. So I would say he's yellow, probably, as you say, it was the actual one that he was booked for was probably quite soft. But like in the end, it was almost a topping up system of, OK, you've done about, you've had about three or four now, so you're going in the boot. But it just seemed to set him off, didn't it? Like everything yeah. after that for the next five minutes was yeah, yellow cards. There was, I'm sure there was like about three three or four yellow cards, wasn't there, in close succession after that one? Yeah. yeah, so I think in the end, probably Middlesbrough just about deserved it. It doesn't make it feel any better to admit that. But I think we said it before, Martin, didn't we? You know, the lads never give up, really, even when they play poorly. We don't sit here and go, well, there was a complete lack of effort there. Lads like Jack Clark, who's been great all season, had a poor game. Gucci's been pretty good all season, had a poor game. Accumulation of things, as we said at the top, but I think we can come away with our head held fairly high, right? We don't have to come away and sort of throw the toys out. Hey, look, as, as football fans, right, 
you, you ask one thing of the, the team when you go and watch them, right? And that's just to give everything for the game. And you accept that some days you'll get the results, some days you won't. Some days you play really well, others you won't. If the team doesn't give the role, then damn right criticise them. If they've given everything and just on the night haven't been good enough, you know, as as we've said, like that, that game, you could play that game 25 times and you might get 13 wins one way, 12 the other way, and a draw. You know, it, it was Borough with a better side on the night, I think, deserved the win. Probably a points verdict on in box and parallel, but, you know, they deserved the win. But we weren't outplayed. We didn't, you know, we didn't sit down. The heads didn't go down. We, we kept going. And, you know, it's going to be a long season. And if the players keep doing that all season... We'll be all right. Yeah. Well, we we play Millwall next at the weekend. Middlesbrough have got an away game at Blackpool, so that'll be a fun one for the Borough fans. Nice weekend away on the drink, I imagine, Craig. Are you going down? Yes, yes, I am, mate. Yeah, um, special memories down there um, in between Christmas and New Year last year. It was one of them where Borough got a, a last-minute winner and, um, you know, it seemed to kick-start this really big momentum and uh, shift in, in Borough's season where they just went on quite a good run, including a good FA Cup run and things just really seemed to click for them after uh, a late winner at Blackpool. So, you know, fond memories of uh, of Bloomfield Road. Yeah, we, we've got a, I think we play them at New Year. We always seem to get a decent, uh, a decent <laughs> fixture when we play Blackpool away. Um, but yeah, so Craig, thanks very much for joining us, mate. Can you just let people know where they can find you on Twitter and Elsewhere, if they want to read your analysis of the game. Yeah, it's at Craig underscore Johns, no capital letters on Twitter. Um, and, and obviously nice and the uh, Gazette Live website. Yep, nice and easy. Set that up a long time ago and didn't put caps in the name, which now bugs me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit like that. Um, cheers, Martin. Thanks for joining us as always, mate. Cheers, mate. And thank you to the listeners for joining us. We'll be back before the weekend, as I say. Take it easy. Catch you later. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.